0: Boy, amazing parallels between the elections in Israel today and the elections in the United States. Wow, we'll talk about it.
1: Welcome, welcome to the line of fire. Michael Brown, as
0: always, delighted to be with you. What a privilege, what a joy to come your way on radio five days a week and most all the time live. Here's the number to call 866 34 Truth, 866 348 7884. Some really fascinating, striking parallels between the elections in Israel and the elections in America between Trump and Netanyahu, between the religious right in Israel and America, also some very, very big differences. But I want to talk about that today. It's not Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Don't, like, what? I thought it was Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It is Tuesday if you're listening live. Some of you know what day of the week is based on what we're talking about. If you've got questions, we've got answers. It's got to be Friday and Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, self-evidently Thursday. But The elections have taken place in Israel, basically polls closed now. And in fact, let me just see here, Um, live updates on CNN, exit polls expected imminently. So Kai and Matt and our team here, keep an eye out for exit polls Israel so we can see what is happening there. The expectation is that it will be neck and neck between the two leading parties, Likud and Blue and White. And that Netanyahu would maybe have a better chance of forming a government. Uh, remember, five months ago, Likud just came in with the narrowest of majorities or the narrowest of leads, I should say, based on which Likud was then tasked with forming a coalition government and basically unable to do it. Netanyahu said, OK, we have another set of elections. So, so picture this. I want you to picture this for a minute. You know how volatile things are in America right now and, and how divided we are and how polarizing politics are in America and left versus right, Republican versus Democrat and pro-Trump versus anti-Trump. It's, it's intense. It's volatile in, in, a, in a very real way. It's unhealthy. It, it tears apart. It tears apart friends, families. Well, Israel now, which can be even more volatile Politics in Israel, the attacks, the back and forth, even more savage. All right. Uh, uh, No exaggeration, even more savage. Well, you go through that, you have an election and then you start it all over again and you do it again. And now the ante has been upped on every side. So a very intense situation in Israel. As I was leaving the house, Nancy said to me, she just read my article looking at the parallels, which we'll we'll take a look at a few interesting quotes in a moment. And she said, who would you vote for? And, and see, this is this is why believers in Israel are between a rock and a hard place. I said, I'm not entirely sure. So remember in Israel, instead of having just two main parties and really no one else has a chance of, of getting anything, you know, in America, the libertarians or independents, they got no chance really of doing much of anything. Okay. You have the two main parties. That's about it. Israel, you can have over 20 different parties running, and, and if you get a certain threshold, you have a minimum threshold to get, what is it, three point something percent of the vote, would get you four seats in the Knesset, so that's the minimum in the parliament, all right? So you have 120 seats, you vote for parties, ultimately not for people, even though Netanyahu is the figurehead of the Likud party and has now been a prime minister in Israel longer than any of his predecessors. So you think Israel's just 70 years old, and, and he's been a prime minister for a good chunk of that time, well over a decade and increasing now. So it's he's been a significant figure in Israeli politics. So here's what you have going on now. You vote for parties, not for people. So let's say that you get the minimum threshold, of 3.25% vote of the vote, something like that. So you get four seats in the Knesset. Let's say... That Netanyahu's party gets 36 seats. You need 61 for a majority, right? Half of the 120. And then you can, then your government will lead. The Netanyahu government or the opposition government will lead. So you say, okay, we've got 36, 37 votes maybe, and we've got to get to 61. So tell you what, you got four seats over here. We've got eight seats over here. We've got 12 seats over here. Let's, let's make a deal. Well, we won't join your coalition unless you give us special benefits. But, but you only have four seats. You only get 3.25% of the vote. Well, it doesn't really matter because we're going to make or break your government. If you don't get us in, who else is going to be in? You say, well, why doesn't Netanyahu just work with the guy who came in second, and then the two of them form a government, and they'll have a strong majority? Oh, yeah. That would be like Donald Trump. And, and, and Hillary Clinton forming a government together and the, right, it's, it doesn't, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So what happened the last time around was that one of the key players in all of this was not going to govern along with the ultra Orthodox. You say, what's wrong with the ultra Orthodox? Don't they hold Torah values? And don't the ultra Orthodox fear God? And isn't observing the Sabbath important to them, morality important to them, family important to them? In many ways, yes, Absolutely. But on the flip side, the problem is that they're often perceived as being hypocritical or that they want to establish a theocracy. In other words, they want Israel to be governed by Torah Judaism, which to them is Talmudic Judaism, the Judaism of the rabbis. And for example, in in Jerusalem, things really shut down on, on the Sabbath, no public transportation. Other parts of Israel, no public transportation on the Sabbath, just different things in terms of how the nation operates. If you're going to get married in Israel, the service has to be officiated by an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. Conservative liberal rabbis are not recognized. So many Israelis who are very secular, they'll they'll just go out of the country. They'll go to Cyprus, neighboring island and get married there because they they're, they don't want to get married by an Orthodox rabbi. And then let's say you run a hotel and you hold events there and you cater the events. Well, in order to be able to operate, you have to uh, abide by rabbinic uh, Judaism, Judaism law, Jewish law. Excuse me, Kashrut, the dietary laws. You have to be able to abide by that, and if you want to get sanctioned, otherwise the rabbis could say we don't recognize you. Then no Orthodox event can be held there, and so on. So there's there's a disproportionate amount of power they they wield. Also, the great majority of the men, ultra Orthodox men, will not serve in the military. Uh, To them, that takes them away from what they're supposed to be doing, which is is studying rabbinic texts and praying all day. And they believe that's for the good of the nation, that they are sacrificing by studying and praying all day. And that that is for the good of the nation, that they're that that's more important than fighting in the military. And on top of that, because many of them don't work regular jobs and they live at poverty level or below. All right. You can go see the families and there's a husband, wife and 12 kids and they're living in a small place. And so it's not like they're getting rich off the government, but they are subsidized by the tax taxes paid by the nation as a whole. So because of that, there's a lot of hostility towards the ultra orthodox. And and the ideal scenario, in my view, would be that Netanyahu is reelected for national security and international relationship purposes but that he can form a government without the ultra-Orthodox. So they're treated fairly, but they're treated like everybody else. They're treated fairly, but they don't get special benefits. As it is, you'll normally have, say, the Shas party, one of the ultra-Orthodox parties, and, and they will want the Ministry of the Interior. And if they get the Ministry of the Interior, then they have a lot of control about immigration and things like that. So they have used that to persecute Messianic Jews, to make it difficult for Jewish believers in Jesus to come into the land or even to try to get some of them kicked out of the country. So ideally, let Netanyahu form a government, but without ultra-Orthodox having special sway. Let them be treated fairly like everyone else, like all other citizens, but not get special benefits and special rights. On the other hand, because of Netanyahu's strong right-wing political stance, which to many Israelis are too far to the right and unfair to the Palestinians, this has now driven the Arab vote. And there is speculation that the Arab vote will be very, very high. And again, not enough to to form a government coalition with, with some of the others. In fact, sometimes they can be so far to the left that the main leaders don't want to form a coalition government with them. But just like in America, you have the polarization between the right and the left. Just as we're being told this is the most important election of our lifetime, just as we're being told that this is an election in America and in Israel for religious freedom. And yes, the, the left in Israel can be very hostile to Jewish tradition and very hostile to biblical values as a whole. My, my friend Ron Cantor in Israel uh, in Tel Aviv was, was telling me jokingly, he said with the gym where he works out, he said he's, he's about the only non-gay guy in the gym. It's considered to be the most gay-friendly city in in the world, Tel Aviv, right? And you have gay pride marches right in Jerusalem. And, and then you hardly, you've got a minimal, very, very small pro-life movement led by, by Messianic believers in Israel. The pushback against just abortion is very, very little in Israel. So on the one hand, you have a very worldly, secular Israel uh, uh, with certain moral values and certain principles that are important, but otherwise very secular, very worldly. On the other hand, you have the very, very religious, this massive gulf between the two, and each one, it seems, polarizing the other further to extremes. And then just like Trump and Netanyahu, the parallels are, are, are many. For example, they're both married three times. There, there are charges of, of collusion that followed Donald Trump. Obviously charges that from everything we see weren't true, but charges of corruption against Netanyahu, which may well be true. And, and well, they're both going to end up in jail. I mean, talk like that. It's, it's, it's really wild. And then they, they both, despite being front runners, know how to play themselves as victims. And, and you got, you've got to, you have no choice but to vote for me kind of thing. It, and, and so on the, the Arab side, it's anyone except Netanyahu, right? And, and, and when, well, on the pro-Netanyahu side, it's you ha- he's the only hope. And then you have just like in America, an appeal to America first, nationalism, and, and charges of xenophobia. Well, the same with Israel and Netanyahu. And, and uh, Trump and, and immigrants and illegal immigrants and secure borders and Netanyahu with Palestinians and safety and security and, and so on, the parallels are very, very real. How are things going to play out? Don't know. And even if Netanyahu is reelected, is that for the long-term best? How much influence will the ultra-Orthodox have? Or, or they are they a deterrent to the ongoing secularization of Israel? Hey, you know what you need to do? Make sure you're on my tour to Israel next May. We still have room. We fill one bus. We're filling the second bus. And that's all we're taking is two buses. But when you go to Israel, it's not a political tour at all. It's a tour of the land of the Bible. It's eye-opening and mind-boggling. But what a great time to be going. May of next year. Sign up now. Go to my website, ask AskDrBrown, dot brownorg You'll see it right on the homepage. All right, phone lines are open. Anything, anything you want to talk about, 866 866- 348 oh
2: 7884 God of burning cleansing flame send the fire
1: It's the line of fire with your host Dr. Michael Brown your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution Here again is Dr. Michael Brown
0: Yeah, I'm I'm opening the phone lines to any questions like we do on Friday. We try to do that any days that we can. Any question you want to raise, anything you want to challenge me on 866-348-7884. So let's see. Latest exit polls here showing neck and neck thus far. Let's scroll down a little bit. There we go. Ah, okay. So one shows Likud blue and white even, the other Likud down by one to blue and white Another Likud down by two to blue and white uh, it could just be a pushback, you know, enough with Netanyahu already could be concerned about the corruption charges and other things could just be exit polls are not entirely accurate. We shall see, shall we not? So, guys, keep me posted on that. 866-34 truth. So a few interesting quotes in my latest article which looks at parallels between the elections in Israel and the elections in America. So a couple paragraphs down, the Jerusalem Post says this, Tens of thousands of ultra-Orthodox men and some women flocked to the climactic mass rally of the United Torah Judaism Party in Jerusalem on Sunday to see and hear their great rabbinical leaders, quote, to sanctify God and to hear that the election is a fight for God's honor Uh, and indeed in his latest offering of doomsday prophecies for the future of Judaism in the Jewish state Shas chairman That's another party of United Torah Judaism and then Shas Shas is Sephardic Jews Shas chairman and interior minister Arya Derry said on Saturday night that a war is being waged against God and Judaism by the left-wing and centrist parties which say they will not sit in a government with the ultra-orthodox political factions. And again, you kind of replace ultra-Orthodox Jews with evangelical Christians and change rabbis to pastors. It's very similar to America. I'm going to talk about some stark contrast in a moment. Times of Israel reports, secular politicians warn of a theocracy. Sound familiar? Religious politicians warn of anti-Orthodox persecution, and both sides say the soul of the country, (laughs) excuse me, is at stake. When religion and state get more space in elections, it's always vitriolic, said Anat Wilf, a secular centrist, former Israeli lawmaker. People understand the implication that their way of life is in danger. So the rhetoric in many ways plays into real fears. Yes. Yeah, so both sides, the left and the right, feel that their way of life is under threat. The right says you're imposing your secularization on us and you're trying to force our men to serve in the military and take them away from their sacred studies and put them in worldly situations in which there'll be much temptation and distraction. The secular say, the religious Jews, you're trying to impose your views on us and make us live by Torah law and we don't want to. And there's some truth to it and that both are infringing on the other. And here you have the conflict in America where evangelical Christians are saying there's a direct attack on our liberties, There's a direct attack on our freedoms to be who we are and believe what we believe and to teach and train our children the way we want to and to to hold to the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life beginning in the womb. And the secular say, yeah, well, you want to impose your values on us. You want marriage to be what you believe it should be and you want a woman's rights to be curtailed by what you think is right. I mean, obviously, you know what's Sodom on in those issues, but the the parallels are there. Now, now here's some big differences. The ultra-Orthodox rabbis have tremendous clout And their followers are deeply, deeply devoted to them and the traditions. So, so you can very easily, in that setting, have the ultra-Orthodox rabbis tell their people, you need to be at this rally. You need to be at this place tonight. And they'll get a massive turnout. Evangelical Christian leaders don't have that power. Come on, the pastor of your church can say, I want all of you out there tomorrow night. Most churches, you're not going to get a big turnout. Okay, I mean, if you have a church of 15 people and they do a lot of stuff together, you've got a better chance, but you've got a church of 1,000, 5,000 people, it's going to take a lot to get that many people to come out. They don't have the same level of control, nor do I think that pastors and Christian leaders should have that level of control. But in the ultra-Orthodox circles, it's very intense. One of my friends living in America told me that in his community, they, they basically saw Uh, Posters all over the community and notices were were sent out to everyone, however they could get them. And they said, all the men must be at this gathering that we're having. This is this big center that could see thousands. Everyone must be there. And we're going to talk about the issue of pornography and, and how dangerous it is and how it can come in in unexpected ways. And that's why most don't have computers in their homes and they don't have smartphones and to make sure they're protected from these things. What about their children and so on? And he said, basically, they made sure everyone was there. And it was pretty much, if you don't show up, then your kids will not be able to go to one of the religious schools here. That's pretty intense. So the control that the ultra-Orthodox would have over the community is different than the control that Christian leaders would have over their community. And and I'm glad we don't have that level of control. It's it's not what we should have. Not only so, though, Israel, in the eyes of of the religious Jew is still called by God to be a Torah-observant nation. And therefore, the ideal would be to see all of the nation observing the Seventh-day Sabbath, all of the nation following the dietary laws, all of the nation living by the laws of sexual purity, all of the nation following the biblical calendar strictly, all of the nation submitting to the authority of the rabbis, that would be the goal of the ultra-Orthodox, all right? In America, you have a tiny fringe part of evangelical Christians who want to see a theocracy, basically Christian leaders running the nation based on biblical law, including Old Testament laws of, of discipline and, and things like that, even death penalties for various sins. That's a tiny, 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 tiny fringe. But all the evangelicals that I know, our goal is to uphold righteousness to, to care for life, to, to stand for the sanctity of marriage. But when it comes to the government, that we, we want to have our vote and, and we want to do our best to, to see justices appointed to Supreme Court that will hold to the Constitution. But we want to have the regular electoral process. We don't want to set up uh, our own to be running the country as a theocracy. We don't want Christian leaders running the country and forcing everyone to follow the Bible. No, not at all. We would love... To see more people hold to biblical values, but that comes through evangelism, that comes through conversion, that comes through discipleship, that comes through changing hearts and minds. It's not something that we'll ever impose. Are there laws we'd like to impose? Yeah, we believe that life should be protected beginning in the womb. And obviously to a woman that is considered uh, attack on her right to choose or her body, her choice, or that mentality, I understand there's a conflict there. And no, we don't believe in the legitimacy of, of two men, quote, marrying or two women, quote, marrying. Supreme Court's made a decision that is, quote, the law of the land, but doesn't mean that we have to abide by it in our churches or, or recognize it spiritually or morally. That being said, yeah, ev- everyone is advocating. Look, those on the left are advocating for their values. Everyone's advocating for values. Okay. It's not that we want to impose a theocracy and the other side wants to have their liberal theocracy. Maybe they do. Maybe the left wants to have its liberal version of a theocracy. But bottom line is, even though we believe America has certain Christian roots, the only way that America will be a Christian nation is when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom on the earth and rules and reigns, okay? Or if the whole nation miraculously got converted and turned to God. All right. But then even how long does that last? Because people are going to have free will and choice and kids born in next generations and things like that. So our, our goal is not to impose a theocracy. If I if I knew there was a candidate running, let, let's say it was a conservative candidate, conservative Christian candidate who absolutely advocated theocracy. And he or she said, my goal is to establish America as a Christian theocracy. And it was him say him or her, versus an ultra-liberal Democrat, I would sit out the election. In other words, even if that person stood for my values, trying to establish a theocracy to me is a terribly dangerous thing, where you now are going to impose by force your religious values on others, like is done in Saudi Arabia, like is done in Afghanistan, like is done in Iran. Even if you have elections and things like that, you still have Islamic rule that will enforce its ways on a nation, period. No, I, I don't want to see that in America with Christianity, and I would oppose it. I would absolutely advocate, though, fighting for what we believe is right and, and voting our values and seeking to impact the educational system and seeking to impact the media and, and seeking to, to shine as lights in dark places. A hundred percent, I would do that in a heartbeat. But it's very, very different than a theocracy. All right, changing subjects, 866 34 Truth. Just letting you know, our hands are stained with blood is now out. The new edition, tons of new material. If you never read the old edition, you need this. But the new edition, updated, revised, expanded, it's now available. Bookstores should have it, but certainly all your online book dealers from Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books A Million, Christian Book, wherever you order your books online or right from our website. Ask Dr. Brian, AskDrBrown.org. If you order things for the holidays at any time or just a birthday and you want to sign, you can always request it. All right. And if we're able to do it most of the time, there's no reason that we can't. Always signing extra books by request each week. Very, very happy to do that. And what you'll find eye-opening, eye-opening and beyond is, is that in, in chapter after chapter where we talk about contemporary anti-semitism where things are today you'll be shocked both in the church and in the world so our hands are stained with blood now out the new revised expanded edition we come back um the media and abortion you won't be surprised about what you hear but still you want to hear it and your calls 866-34-TRUTH
1: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34 Truth. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Phone lines are
0: open. Voting polls now closed. The voting stations closed in Israel. We await the outcome. And honestly, it's not one of those things where I oh, gotta see Netanyahu win. I don't know what God's best is. How things will unfold in the days ahead, we shall see. 866 348 7884. In a moment, I want to look at a report from Washington Free Beacon that looks at how newspapers around the country have made their feelings known about heartbeat bills. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that, the abortion question where the media stands. But first, let's grab some calls. We'll start in North Carolina with Noah. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
2: Uh, yes, sir, Michael Brown. Thanks for taking my call. Hey. I had a question on Job in Chapter 1. It's uh, not like a loaded question or anything, but uh, where Satan comes before God, he's accused, you know, comes into his presence, and I'm just curious how he came into his presence to start with, since he's so unholy, I guess he's not made like, you know, He's immortal, uh, kind of like we are, but in our human form, of course. But how is he able to go before God and talk to him and not be just, you know, vaporized in a way, I guess you would say. How, how is he able to go before, before the Lord like that?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a fair, else is human. right. It's, it's a very fair question. There are some who simply look at this as one of the angelic beings, and hasatan in Hebrew simply means the adversary or the accuser and they do not associate him with Satan of the New Testament or the devil. Uh, I personally do believe that the association is correct, that this is the devil, the accuser, the adversary, Satan. And in my Job commentary, I have a, a, a section in the back where I explain why I hold to that belief. So in Revelation 12, we read that Satan is cast out of heaven. The question is, when does that actually happen? We know Ephesians 6 talks about principalities and powers in, in heavenly places. People talk about a third heaven where God dwells and then the heavens above us and then the atmosphere and, and then ancient Judaism had seven heavens. There's all kinds of debate. You know, so where is Satan? Has he been cast out of, was he cast out of heaven when he, when he rebelled? Is that when it happens? Is it something later, another heaven he's cast out of? All kinds of debate about that, but none of that really answers your question. So bottom line is, that this is something that God accepted and tolerated for his purposes. In other words, just like the whole world is filled with the presence of God, and sin takes place all the time, and he doesn't vaporize us, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and sometimes we do sinful things. I was thinking that the other day. What what does the Holy Spirit do if I'm doing something sinful, if I'm angry or, or, or thinking wrong thoughts or... Do we have an angel with us at all times? What does an angel do if we're sitting? Do they look the other way? I mean, what actually happens? Obviously, we grieve the spirit when we sin, but there are a lot of things that take place all over the earth. The earth is the Lord's and everyone who dwells in it, right? Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. Yet he allows all kinds of evil to take place and he doesn't vaporize people. So even Satan serves God's purposes. Look at it like, like this. Satan comes directly to Jesus in Matthew 4, doesn't he? And, and he directly right. dialogues with him and, and seeks to tempt him, and Jesus doesn't vaporize Satan. He just quotes Scripture, and then Satan leaves. So somehow, this is allowed to continue until the final day when, when God will crush him uh, under the feet of Jesus, as per Romans sixteen twenty. So why it is that God doesn't totally destroy him, wipe him out, uh, those are other questions, how he could have access into God's presence at any time. Other questions, does he still have access after the cross? Does he not have access now? All fair questions. Even, even in Luke 10, when Jesus said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven, does he mean when he fell, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven and, and say Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 would speak about that? Or does he mean when you were out driving demons out of people, uh, that's when I was seeing it spiritually happening? Even that's debated, but for sure, Satan and God have a certain level of interaction that has continued through the ages without God wiping Satan out, and Job 1 just makes it very vivid and apparent. But if it could happen with Satan coming to Jesus in the wilderness and they interact, it could happen with Satan coming into God's presence in heaven and they interact. Fascinating, but true.
2: Yes, sir. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Brown.
0: You are, you are very welcome. Eight six six three four truth So so just a reminder, my Job Commentary, which will be almost 500-page hardcover, so a beautiful volume, and because these are academic volumes and well-produced, it's it's an expensive volume, but well worth it. We will be releasing it in person at the Apologetics Conference less than one month from now in Charlotte. So if you haven't signed up for it, you don't do that on our website. But go to SES.edu, Southern Evangelical Seminary's website. You can sign up for the conference, and I will be doing a book signing. I believe it's Saturday morning. I'll I'll be doing a a, a, a session on Job, a plenary session for everyone, and doing a book signing. But I should be there Friday, day and night, Saturday as well. Happy to sign books if you want to get a copy. Or we'll be sending out an email next month saying, hey, here's how you can get a signed numbered copy, which would be great for holiday gifts as well. And uh, we'll talk about Joe Moore as we get closer, but with a question on that, I had to mention it. All right, let's uh, stay on the phones. Connor in Spokane, Washington, welcome to the Line of Fire.
2: Hey, Mike, thanks for having me on. You bet. Hey, okay, so one of the things I appreciate about you is all of the uh, lies that, that you bring forth uh, to light. And for the life of me, these last few months, I've been trying to wrap my brain around where Christians get the, off being anti-Semitical. Um, I mean, our, our king was a Jew, um, Paul was a Pharisee, Peter was a Jew, James was a Jew. Um, I can't—what kind of scriptures are they taking out of context or misconstruing to uh, validate their reaction and their um, ill will towards the Jewish people? Because I, for the life of me, I can't possibly read scripture and see it anywhere.
0: Yeah, well, in point of fact, I've been around Christians just like you for decades in America and all around the world who read the Bible the same way and who can't fathom how anyone could be an anti-Semite and a Christian at the same time. But here's what happened. As Jewish people did not receive the gospel on a national level, as Jewish people then opposed the spread of the gospel, which you have, for example, in the book of Acts, right? The persecution of, you know, first Saul of Tarsus persecuting fellow Jews who believe in Jesus. But then after that, you, you have Jewish conflict with the believers in city after city after city. So the Jews become the bad guys. The Jews become the resistors and the evil ones. So now you go back to Scripture. So you have Matthew twenty-one forty-three misinterpreted. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people bearing its fruit, which is not taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles, but taken from the rabbinic or the Pharisaical leaders and give it to the apostles. But in, in any sure. case, a verse like that, or Matthew 27, 25 when the Jewish crowd shouts to Pilate, his blood be on us and our children. You know, crucify him, his blood be on us and our children. So that allegedly brought down a curse on the Jewish people through the ages. Or in John 8, 44, when Jesus is dealing with the Jewish people who are resisting his message, and he says, you are of your father, the devil, who's a murderer and a liar. So you're of your father, the devil. Or in Revelation, the second chapter and the third chapter, where Jesus speaks of those opposing the gospel saying that the they're synagogue of cl- Satan. Right? right. They claim to be Jews that are not. They're a synagogue of yeah. Satan. So each of these, either taken out of context, misunderstood, blown up, and then Peter preaching and saying, You crucified the Messiah, so you're guilty of the Messiah's blood. And then from that, well, if you kill the Messiah, the Messiah is God, you're guilty of deicide, you're killers of God. And it just gets more and more berserk from there. And then the more hostile, that the church became to Jewish people, the more resistant Jewish people were to the gospel, and then Jewish leaders started writing things very hostile towards Jesus or his followers, so then Christians looked at that, aha, look at these evil Jews, so it became a vicious cycle. So that's what's happened. Do you you have my book, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood? I do not. All right, stay right there, Connor. And is it Danny doing the phones today? Danny, as soon as you get a minute answering calls, get Connor's name and address, and we want to send him, our hands are stained with blood, all right? Our hands are stained with blood. We want to send that out to Connor as a gift. You'll find it massively eye-opening as well as heart-breaking. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to John in Washington State. Welcome to the line of fire.
2: Oh, hi, Doctor Brown. Um, very nice to be able to talk to you. I'm a big fan. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Um, let me I wanted to ask you about um some passages I saw. I was digging up um on some old Hebrew root words and um and specifically Psalm twenty two. I kind of just stumbled upon this when I was um looking at the end of the Psalm 22, where he says, you know, um, pierce my hands and my feet, and how it gets translated. Evidently, a Jewish person would translate that, a a lion at my hands and a lion at my feet. And in in looking through that that chapter there, there's a word um, used for worm, tola. Mm -hmm. And uh, evidently, this worm... This is a special worm. It means the crimson worm. And all the other places in the um, Old Testament, there's a different Hebrew word used for the word worm that is not the crimson worm. And I'm wondering if you've ever stumbled across that, or if I'm being misinformed or misled. Because to me, if that is true, with the specifics on how that type of worm works, it just makes the passage extremely profound.
0: Uh, yeah, a- actually, uh, don't don't want to disappoint that insight there, but but uh, the 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 color of crimson, of course, used in in uh, in many cases, but uh, Tola is is used elsewhere. Uh, it's it's used in in a number of other passages. For example, just just looking here, um, yeah. So similar similar form in, for example, Job twenty five, Isaiah fourteen. Eleven, um, yeah. So it, it's it's worm. It's it's not like a special significance there that that we can really make a point out of or point out. It's crimson. Uh, you have another word that can be used for, for maggot, which is not the word there. But but tola, yeah, associated with a color. But it's not. That's not the only time it's used. You do have it a number of other times in the Hebrew Scriptures. By the way, the question about translation of they pierce my hands and feet if you go to my website askdrbrown.org askdrbrown.org type in psalm 22 you'll get a lot more insight on that as well all right god bless thank you for the question we'll be right back
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Before we go back to the phones, 866-34-TRUTH. Looking at an article from two days ago, FreeBeacon.com, analysis, Media United in Abortion Support. So the American public, the article says, by Patrick Halff, is evenly divided on the issue of abortion. But the nation's newsrooms are nearly unanimous in their support for abortion on demand, according to a Washington Free Beacon analysis. The spread of pro-life legislation in red states and the proliferation of late-term abortion laws in New York, Vermont, Illinois in 2018 and 19 have have prompted numerous editorials supporting the agenda of abortionists. According to a Washington Free Beacon review of dozens of articles written by local and national editorial boards, which represent the official opinion of a newspaper, the Augusta Chronicle in Georgia was the only paper to endorse a bill restricting abortion when a human heartbeat is detectable. A total of 21 papers from 12 different states condemned heartbeat bills, which are set to go into effect in Georgia and Missouri in 2019. By the way, in Jezebel's War with America, I detail how radically liberal the media has been when it comes to issues like abortion. For decades, this has been the case, at least 20 years, if not longer, documented in Jezebel's War with America. I did an interview this morning for Mancow. Is it Eric Mankow Muller, a well known conservative talk radio host? I didn't know he was a professing Christian. He read the Jezebel book in one day and asked me to come on the air with him. Talked about his belief in witchcraft being real, said it's one of the best books he read this year. So, what a delightful surprise and what a good, intense interview we had. All right, back to the phones 866. Three, four, truth. We go to JB. Our our third straight call in the state of Washington, over in Seattle. Welcome to the line of fire.
2: Hey, hey Doctor Michael Brown. Hey, uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. And uh, I appreciate you for uh, edifying and taking your time for the people here. Um, hey, I have a question about Romans eleven. Yeah. In um, verses twenty-five through about twenty-seven, uh, when it mentions about the uh, the gent the Gentiles, and fulfilling, I guess, the fullness of what they were supposed to do, um, uh, it, it, what verses that it says, as it is written, what verses does that pertain to, as what they are supposed to do? Well, fulfill it's not talking
0: about. about the fullness of the Gentiles as it is written, it's talking about the salvation of Israel, all right? So oh, right, I do right, not right. want you to be uh, ignorant of this mystery, brothers, lest you be wise in your own eyes that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way... So on the heels of that or provoked by that, or then, following that, all Israel will be saved as it is written. So it's talking about the salvation of Israel that is written. The deliverer shall come out of Zion. He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins, which is primarily a quote from Isaiah 59, 2021. 20, but okay. in, in the Hebrew, it's the deliverer will come uh, to Zion. Uh, here it says from Zion. That's probably adding in Psalm 14, where there's a prayer that deliverance would come uh, from Zion. So yeah, he's not saying that the old Testament there is prophesying the fullness of the nations. He's found verses that hint of, of the incoming of the Gentiles earlier in Romans nine, especially in Romans 10, he finds verses that point to that. And then again, in Romans 15, he finds verses that point to that Jew and Gentile joined together as one in the Messiah. But, The as it is written there is referring to the salvation of national Israel, the turning of the nation to God, as the prophets prophesied would happen. Okay.
2: Uh, Yes, and that's how I understood it. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, Yeah, sure thing. The main, the main part of that, uh, the meat of it, is uh, yeah, the verse about is it about the Gentiles spreading the word through the ends of the earth as far as the fullness.
0: No, it's, it could be. I mean, the, the NIV, the 84 NIV said uh, the, uh, the full number. That's incorrect. So fullness would seem to mean the full harvest. In, in other words, this has to happen first before the hardness is fully yeah. lifted off Israel. That the harvest of the nations, the multitude that no one could number, spoken of in Revelation, the seventh chapter, of uh, people from every tongue, kindred, that they will be saved, that they will hear the message and be saved, a multitude from around the world, and perhaps also in the fullness of the Spirit and, and the fullness of, of love and the, and the power of God. Uh, some even think that it refers to a fullness of wickedness in, in the nations. But God's purpose is fully accomplished, the gospel going in fullness to the Gentiles, and then on the heels of that, Israel's salvation. So it could well be that this, this church, full of the Spirit, full of Jesus, full of the Word, helps pray for Israel and provoke Israel to salvation with its godly example. That could be part of the equation as well. All right. Hey, I appreciate the question, sir. And thanks for your kind words. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to uh, Clifton in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello. are you Hello. there? Yeah, you're on the air.
2: Okay, I I didn't hear you call my name. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Um, Quick question. Can you give me a quick explanation of the meaning of the last shall be first, the first shall be last?
0: Yes, sir. So, So in this world, many that seem to be the big shots, the famous ones, the great influencers, the important ones in the world to come, Will be the opposite. And the ones that seem to be insignificant and lowly and no one pays attention to in the world to come will be the exalted ones. Let's just look, for example, in a country where you've got powerful leaders persecuting Christians, and the powerful leaders are rich, and the powerful leaders can do whatever they want, and the powerful leaders can give whatever they want to their children, and they have this massive influence, and the Christians are persecuted, they're poor, they're scattered. Uh, in the world to come, it's going to be the exact opposite, that those who were great and mighty but hated God will be cast down, and those who were persecuted and little, like Lazarus and the rich man, will in Luke 16, will be exalted. Within the church, okay. it could also mean that some that seem to be like the big famous leaders, that actually they just had a big calling and they really weren't that close to the Lord, and you have some humble saint that nobody really knows— just seeking God in private and honoring God in private, and that person uh, in, in the world to come will have a much higher status than the other.
2: Okay, Doctor Brown. What I've heard, it, so it has nothing specifically to do with the Jews and the Gentiles. What I've heard, the Gentiles will be first, and the Jews will be last. That no, just has nothing to do with that.
0: No, no, no. And and according to Scripture, everybody gets judged the same. That Romans two says. That the Jews will be judged first, and the Gentiles judged second, and the Jews will be blessed first, and the Gentiles blessed second. But everybody will be judged fairly, and so it's all going to level out. Now, Matthew eight does tell you that there will be many that were part of the Jewish people that will be cast out, and many who were part of the outcast, the Gentiles, who will be brought in. But no, for example, in the world to come, it speaks of the twelve apostles who are all Jews, uh, in a, in a rulership way. So it's it's going to be all equal in terms of whoever's saved, whoever knows the Lord, whoever honors the Lord, Jew, Gentile, young, old, male, female, black, white, whoever, we will all have equal status and equal standing in the Lord and be rewarded accordingly. And and if you look at, for example, Luke 14, Jesus is warning the religious leaders, like you take seats in the front, okay? And then someone else comes in more honorable than you, and you're going to have to give up your seat, sit in the back. And so there's going to be the reversal. It's a general principle. sir. So whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But, you know, I've experienced this physically where I, I get on some vehicle that I, I remember in, in one particular airport, you have this shuttle that takes you from one terminal to another. So I, I get on. And, of course, you know, I, I want to be the first one to get off because I'm in a hurry. So I go straight to the side, you know, to the front. Well, when the thing lands on the other side, the front is now the back. (laughs) So I was the first one on and the last one off. And I thought, isn't that funny? There it is. Principle lived out. Hey, I got to run. Time's out here. But Clifton, thank you for the call. Um, By the way, Kyle in Florida, the question about uh, this generation will see everything take place in, in Matthew 24 It could be referring to the generation that sees the destruction of the first temple. When you see X, Y, Z happen, you'll see the rest. Or it could be the generation that sees these end time things happen. You will see the return of Jesus. There are different ways that passage can be read legitimately. All right. I am out of time. 866-34-TRUTH. Jot down the number because I'm going to open the phone lines again tomorrow. I'm just going to scan who's here. If you call in tomorrow, I'll do my best to put you at the top of the list. We'll talk about some interesting cultural issues, too. Don't forget, the new edition of Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, with much, much crucially important new material, just became available today. And we are thrilled to get it out to you. We've been sending out pre-ordered copies, but now it's available to the general public. And let's just take one last look here. Let's just see. Exit polls, Israel. And let's just see the latest news here. And uh, let's see. Netanyahu fails to secure ruling majority. Gantz in the lead. So the blue and white party exit polls show. So some still have them tied. But others are showing that uh, Netanyahu is not going to get it. Uh, all exit polls show that Netanyahu's right wing block will gain between 54 to 57 seats. It needs... 61 to govern and uh, how is blue and white Kahol Levon? how how are they going to get 61 seats that's a challenge what will happen we don't know we shall see all right friends back with you tomorrow